Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. Long story short, when we got to him, we freed up those nerves, we remodeled the scar tissue, and immediately after, he was able to run down the stairs. He was taking ground balls with his son. Uh, He said on camera, if he met us previously, he'd still be playing baseball. What Goldman taught me was, you have to bring an A-plus every single day. At Brown or Harvard, you could skip class and probably still get an A, but there you had to be just 100% every single time. And so that lesson was absolutely incredible. Yeah, you have to, otherwise, uh, you know, you'll never get out of your situation. I think as entrepreneurs, we're such control freaks that we want to be, you know, around every single decision. But the reality is your company will never grow until you let go, let go, let go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Christian Seal, who is Christian. Christian is as work harder, play harder as they come. He's smart, like insanely smart. And I'm embarrassed to be around him, kind of smart. He did his undergrad at Brown. He got his MBA from Harvard. Yeah, he's that smart. He also is a Fulbright scholar. If you don't know what that is, Google it. It's crazy. This guy's got a lot of brains in there. But that's not why I wanted him on the show. I wanted him on the show because of how he thinks, how he solves problems, and how he creates companies that make a difference in the world. So for example, he had some bad experiences with the healthcare system in the US and some more favorable experiences, certainly in terms of price, um, when he was in Colombia. So he decided to find a way to make the US system more equitable, efficient, and profitable. Now, 35 companies later that he's invested in, he's dominating the medical space and he's working with people like Tony Robbins, who's always on the cutting edge of things. And on the play harder side, he kills it too. I mean, you know, whether he is on his boat in Miami traveling to Wimbledon or speaking at a Tony Robbins event, he's always looking for the edge. You will love this conversation with Christian. Please enjoy this really wide ranging conversation. We covered everything under the sun with Christian Seal. Christian, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. You know what, man? I am super excited to have you on the show because for me, you have this beautiful mix of this, you know, insane curiosity 
meets kindness meets incredible intellect. How do you like that for a uh, for a suck up at the beginning of a show? <laughs> That's super super kind. Well, I feel the same way about you. <laughs> I mean, just really incredible. And we're going to get into all of that in a little bit. And I think probably the best way to begin this is to start with a bit of your background. So you've got a an economics degree from Brown. You are a Fulbright scholar. You got your MBA from Harvard. When I'm doing the research, I'm trying to figure out if that's one person or like 10 people. So like, <laughs> like how, how in the world, well, maybe the better question would be to what do you attribute that level of academic success? Let's start there. Well, look, I uh, pride myself on the fact that I'm a continual learner. And so I, I try not to let those things define me though on a, li- a linear path, they were things that I was proud of. I'm happy to you know, share my experience around those things. But I really think it was my parents uh, that ingrained in me just a thirst for knowledge and excellence. And at times it wasn't easy. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer. And I remember you know, doing d- double sessions and not being able to get, get out of the pool until you threw up. And so yeah, I don't know if that's the best way to parent, uh, but my parents always you know, ingrained in me that I could do whatever I wanted to. Uh, and you know, luckily I had the opportunity uh, to go to some amazing places in terms of education and and have some amazing experiences. Uh, And it's been, uh, I just feel very, very great, 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 grateful. I want to ask you about why you decided to sort of point your entrepreneurial canons towards healthcare. In other words, what were the steps that led you to go all in on healthcare? Yeah, it was really three separate things, and you know, now look, looking back, it's a pretty lit, lit linear story. But uh, the universe has this just amazing way of like pointing you in the right direction. And I guess a little bit more background: uh, my dad owns a lumber company, and you know, so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial environment. My mom um, was on TV as a fitness. Uh, guru, and so I, I grew up in this environment where I didn't really know anything else uh, beyond entrepreneurship. And you know, my few jobs were working as a personal trainer, working at the YMCA, Outback Steakhouse, doing some menial jobs, and then this experience at Goldman Sachs. And what Goldman taught me was you have to bring an A plus every single day. At Brown or Harvard, you could skip class and probably still get an A, but there you had to be just 100% every single time. And so that lesson was absolutely incredible. But I realized very quickly that I'm a shitty employee and I just can't work for anybody else. So that's where I kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug. And healthcare specifically, uh, I lived in the country of Colombia for more or less four years. Um, I started doing this Fulbright scholarship and then... uh, built an organization that does fair trade for uh, coffee, and, or excuse me, oil and gas, kind of like fair fair trade for uh, coffee and chocolate. And anyway, I got really, really sick when I was down there, uh, spent 24 hours in the hospital with two, spare, two parasites, had a temperature of about 104, really felt like I was going to die. Uh, and then a day later, after being taken care of and get, getting back to health, I got this bill for $53. And honestly, I didn't really think much of it at the time, but four years later, I dislocated my pinky while I was in New York. I went to the ER. I was there for six hours. A plastic surgeon came. I don't know why I needed a plastic surgeon. All he did was pull my pinky three ways. And a month later, I got a bill for $17,300. Welcome to America. (laughs) Exactly. And again, it was a funny thing, but it wasn't, you know, beating me over the head. You have to do something in healthcare. 
Uh, the second thing that happened about a few months later was my dad walked in for a routine cataract surgery and now he's blind in one eye. And one in 10,000 people typically get an infection. That was him. But the thing that was really, really frustrating was he was asked if he could see light. And when you can't, you have to go in for immediate uh, surgery to basically disinfect the eye. But the person that was writing down wrote it incorrectly, a problem that AI or artificial intelligence could really solve. Anyway, my my dad sent home and his his eye eats himself out. And I don't fully appreciate what that means, but his whole life has absolutely changed. Uh, And the third thing that happened was my grandmother for years had said, hey, my sides really hurt. Uh, I just wanted some basic diagnostic tests. And she couldn't get them. I guess her insurance wouldn't reimburse. And when she finally got them, she was stage four ovarian cancer and died, uh, you know, about three, three months later. So at some point you just say, fuck, fuck this. And I'm going to do, do something about it. Well, not everybody does. And you did. And I think that's what makes the difference between you and everybody else, frankly, you know, this one trip to a hospital in South America has led you on a mission to transform the lives of a billion people. So, you know, you're, you're 28 years old and um, you raised a healthcare VC fund without being a healthcare expert. What have you learned from that experience and how are you using that to achieve what you've achieved? Yeah, so I was 28 when I raised the fund. I'm 32 now. I wish uh, I could have those four years back. Uh, but so Wouldn't that be when, nice? <laughs> it'd be really nice. So we are wor- working on some stuff to help re- reverse aging, which maybe we uh, we can get to later. Uh, so look, I, what I found really quickly is when you have passion, and conviction, and you can inspire in other people, uh, they really can see, see that in you. And it was interesting because I had raised money as an entrepreneur previously uh, for the organization in Latin America. And extremely, extremely passionate about what, what I was doing. But this was like, no one was going to stop me. And so I was pretty upfront about the fact that, hey, I'm not an expert in healthcare, but here's what I have done. I've raised a lot of money. I probably failed as an entrepreneur and I've done angel investing. So I have a pretty good idea of how to vet companies, vet founders. I had also worked at business school for Howard Schultz's fund uh, who started Starbucks called Mavron. And so I had a pretty good idea of the VC game. And so I said, look, I'm not going to purport to be an expert in any way, shape, or form. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the experts in healthcare, the CEOs of large health insurance companies or large health systems. I'm going to ask them for their problem. And based off their problem, I'm going to go try to find solutions. And then in the diligence process, I'll take care of the market. I'll take care of the founder. I'll take care of all those questions. But I'm going to ask the customer, the buyer, the expert in healthcare, if they want to buy this product or not. And if they do, then I'll invest because it's doing two things. One, it's gaining customers for the entrepreneur, and the second thing it's doing uh, is helping really de-risk, you know, my investment. I think it's a really interesting thing in the venture capital world where we beat our chest for raising money. It's like no, make money and then go raise money. Um, so I kind of flipped the script and I think people really like that thesis that it wasn't, you know, I know everything about healthcare. It was let me go to the people, have them tell me their problems and then go find re- relevant solutions. You know, it's interesting in how you're, how you're approaching these things. You know, you've invested uh, now in over 30 companies, uh, five of them you've had exits. And for people who are listening, who you know, maybe can't see themselves in your story. Maybe we can rewind the clock a little bit to when you invested in your first company. Can you walk me through how you were able to come up with the money to create that 
investment and make that happen. Yeah, it's a great, uh, you know, a great example of paying the dumb tax. Which, if you read the Keith Cunningham, the dumb book, tax. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I'm so stealing that. That's genius. <laughs> um, so, in the road less stupid, the whole book is focused on not paying the dumb tax. And part of the reason I think I've been really successful in this portfolio, from a financial standpoint and an impact standpoint, is I paid the dumb tax many times and very early. So, my first investment was uh, a very close friend of mine from Brown. I was his TA. Uh, he had been my roommate and he came to me and said, Hey, I have this really interesting idea in biotech where we're going to grow cells in this new type of lab. And I didn't know anything about it. Didn't really understand it. Trusted him and his sister was a PhD from Harvard. So trusted her and this was her space. And I gave him $7,500. To me, it was a lot of money at the time when I was 23. Uh, you know, right now, you know, that isn't the size of the investments that we make. But very quickly, I learned multiple things. One, don't invest in things you don't understand. Two, be very careful when you invest in your friends because it can cause a tiff in the relationship. And if people aren't working full-time on something, that's like an amazing telltale sign that this thing is probably going to fail. So a year and a half later... Uh, you know, the company's going under and I lose my first investment. Um, same thing happened with the second and the third. So I paid the dumb tax really, really early and went into your own money. Um, and I was making $800 on a Fulbright scholarship um, when I was 22. So $7,500 is a lot of money to me then, right? Um, and I'm just a really high risk tolerant guy. But it was, it made me realize if I'm going to take hard earned dollars and put it into something, even if it's not a lot of money, I got to be really, really sure that this can be a good investment. So you've now had five exits, right? I've had five exits. Okay. So if we go on the other side of that now, and we talk about what it felt like when you had the exits, when you got the exit and the money went in your account and it cleared, what did that feel like for you? What did you think you were going to buy? What did you actually buy? How different did it feel? Talk me through that because everybody always talks about, you know, the investment and uh, you know, buying buying into the company, but rarely do you talk about what it feels like when you actually sell it. So you've done it 5 times. Maybe you can kind of talk about what that feels like. Is it anticlimactic? Yeah, I think look, the first one's amazing because it gets the monkey off your back and in in terms of I mean there's really raising money as an investor, you have to do two things. One, you have to convince other people to give you their money to invest on their behalf. And then you have to go find extremely amazing entrepreneurs, companies, and products that can make their money back. Uh, and so the, the clock starts to tick you know, as soon as you uh, take money in. To give those money back, and so when you have that first exit, it's like yes, you know, I can start to give money back. Uh, and so the feeling is, I would say, a feeling of relief, a feeling of validation, because at least in the venture capital world, sometimes it takes five, seven, eight years to realize an exit. So when I had my first exit within the first sixteen months, it was like absolutely incredible, and it really gave me this confidence that hey, I'm really, really good at this, uh, and so it, it gave me more confidence to d- double down. You know, when the money hits the bank account, um, it's definitely uh, an amazing feeling. But it's for me at least, it's not the type of thing where it's you know I'm going to go splurge and start. It's like it makes me want to do this even more and invest in more companies and, and double down and really make that impact uh, to help transform the health and lives of a, bit, a billion people. 
Did you buy anything fun and exciting? I'm a big wine guy, uh, so mm. I definitely, I definitely splurge on. Uh, you know, I my every, I guess with every exit, my wine taste uh, probably improves. Um, at least the uh, the price point does. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, okay. So a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to get uh, some clarity on that are rolling around my head. The first one is you mentioned that your dad couldn't get into the college he wanted because of his beard and he didn't want to shave it. I can't let that one go. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So he, he did get in. Um, he played basketball very competitively. He went on a scholarship to a place called Worcester Academy, which at his time was a, a very, very good school. And Know, continues to graduate some of the top NBA players. Um, and so he went to a school in Indiana uh, and he got in because of basketball, but he was kicked off the team because the coach said, uh, you need to shave your beard. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and it was the same coach that told him that he had, you know, as much athletic ability as Larry Bird. And so, you know, I can tell the story of fourth of July parties. You know, he's 51 years old and he's dunking on people and he's only like six, six feet. And so he was a pretty amazing athlete. But why the beard? Why would he not shave it? Uh, It's probably a trait that he's passed down to me, which is when somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to do it, even if it, you know, spites my basketball career or athletic athletic career. You know, I was thinking like, you know, maybe there's some kind of religious thing where you didn't want to shave it. So it was just simply like, fuck you, I'm not shaving my beard. Yeah, I don't think it's. I'm I'm working to disassociate myself of that uh, trait, but yeah, I think it's pretty much. <laughs> I'm stubborn, and you're not going to tell me what to do. I like that. Well, that's part of part of what makes uh, you you for sure. Um, and then you mentioned your mom. She was a fitness guru. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so uh, my mom, you know, she was like a Levi's jeans model. I think um, in her time, uh, did some. LA cheerleading for the Los Angeles Lakers uh, and then moved out to the East Coast, which is a pretty big culture shock for her. Uh, got really, really passionate about fitness. And so we lived uh, in the second largest town in New England. And she, for 10, 12 years, was on a program um, where you know, she would get people moving. And she uh, competed in this thing called AFA and then... Um, forgetting the name AAU and would win these gold medals for aerobics. Um, and it was fun as a little kid, you know, being dragged around like on a leash and just like watching her, you know, do her thing. Uh, but that definitely inspired her work ethic, but then also just like a love for fit, 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 fitness in me. I love that because, you know, we are, we are nothing more than products of our parents in many ways. So I think it's important to understand, you know, where people come from and I'm always so sensitive to it. You know, I've got a five-year-old daughter and, you know, we pick up on things, right? We we pick up on, we imprint on our parents and how we do things. So I always like to dig in a little bit on the background part of the show to learn more about how you were raised. And I think it's really, really super interesting. And, you know, I'm starting to think about how that affected you, you know, um, moving forward when you got a dad that's super athletic and super intellectual and you got a mom that's super into fitness. Well, it kind of makes sense that you go to Harvard and create a healthcare company. You know, I mean, there's a lot to that. So I wanted to talk about your latest company, which is uh, Intuitive Interventions. Can you walk me through what started out as a crazy idea in your Miami apartment and quickly became a 
product that guys like Tony Robbins, Miguel Cabrera, David Ortiz are using. And maybe talk about what the mindset shifts were that, uh, that you had to make in order to be able to create this company. Yeah, it's, uh, again, a really li- li- linear story lo- looking back. But if I had told you that we would be treating those type of people four years ago when I started my healthcare journey, uh, you know, I, I just wouldn't have been able to see it because a lot of my portfolio has been focused on optimizing what I call as a sick care system. And intuitive yeah. interventions, in my mind, is really the future of healing. Uh, and so how it started was... I have a very close friend. I think you met him on FaceTime, uh, Dr. Abhinath Gotham, who's an anesthesiologist, a musician, a tennis player. I mean, he's a real polymath, probably one of the smartest people that I've ever met. And I had, we'd done some business together. Um, when I first moved to Miami, he was one of the first people I met, and we found out we were born on the same day. Uh, and so there was something there, and we always knew we wanted to do something together. But about two and a half years ago, he came to me and said, hey, I found this new way to heal the body from the inside out. And honestly, I really didn't know what that meant. Uh, but I had just sprained my wrists jumping off a trampoline. Uh, and I went to like the best guys here in Miami and they immobilized me, which I now come to learn is like the worst thing that you can do. And so because I like to be active and work out, I wasn't able to do push-ups, and it was just really, really frustrating uh, and so I said, well, what, what does this mean? Heal the body from the inside out. And he said, well, come to my apartment. I'll show you. Uh, and so I go, go to his apartment and I was very nervous and, you know, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but long story short, he fixed my wrist by remodeling this layer of scarred and damaged tissue. Uh, and so two days later I was able to do push-ups, and I said, holy shit, you know, we really got to do, do something with this. So we started the company, uh, intuitive interventions and that treatment that he did to me, uh, we now call relief. And, what relief is, is it's looking at this layer below the skin above the muscle, which a lot of people know as fascia. Uh, it's a lot more than that. It's this interstitial layer that was just discovered to be the largest organ in the body about a year and a half ago. And it just has these massive implications for pain, mobility, and stiffness. Uh, and so, you know, we've treated a lot, a lot of people and then recently uh, have been treating, you know, the top performers and athletes in the world because they try everything, stem cell surgery, PRP, body work, and it just doesn't do it. This is you know, really remodeling uh, their tissue from the inside out. Uh, you know, we're fortunate to have su- such amazing results. So the fascia, have you ever done fascia work um, yourself? In other words, using some kind of, you know, like myofascial release, whether it's a lacrosse ball or, um, you know, a little stick called a theracane. Have you ever done that um, yourself on your, yeah. on your own body? Yeah, I, uh, you know, unfortunately, since I tore all the li- li- ligaments in both of my ankles and tore my SI joint and had knee surgery when I was si- 16 years old, I've been in the PT's office way longer than I'd want to. Um, so I used mm-hmm. to do that stuff all the time. With they didn't have the Theragun back then, but the you know the myofascial release and the lacrosse ball and all that is you know really really good. But there's only so much you can do from the outside in. It's like almost the difference between a shovel and a dump truck. It's like what relief does is it's the dump truck for scar tissue. It's like taking it all out at once, uh, as opposed to that, you know, the lacrosse ball, which, you know, maybe is the sh- shovel at best. So the interstitial is beneath the fascia or above it? So it's really this layer below the skin, above the muscle. What mm-hmm. we used to think as just this dense wall of collagen we found to be is really the body's highway. So, 
Um, there's a great book called Anatomy Trains by Tom Myers, and he talks about these fascial planes that run across the body. And it's really cool because if you map those against uh, Arabic or Chinese medicine, the chi, it's like where the energy or the electricity flows. Um, and so what they found is this highway, and we found clinically now, is really responsible for three things. One, ion and protein transport, uh, and then lymph. So basically how the body you know, gets rid of waste. And then there's these little nerves that can become entrapped in that layer because they travel throughout it. So what we find when we use ultrasound to look is not only can tissue be disorganized because it should very much be like a layer cake, it should be extremely, extremely organized. And if it's damaged or scarred, it looks like a picket fence, but there's these little nerves that can get entrapped in it as well. And so the combination of those two things can result in this acute pain that someone might have or chronic pain. Um, is you can imagine if you know there's a nerve stuck in this picket fence all the time uh, and you're m- moving, that can fire off some c- c- signals in your brain. And if we talk about the treatment itself, you know who is? I know you have some high profile people like Tony Robbins, uh, Miguel Cabrera, David Ortiz, like we mentioned earlier. But for, you know, for the average person that comes in, who uh, typically is coming into your office? How long does it take? Uh, you know, to get the result that they're after. Talk to me a little bit about some cases. So look, we really serve anyone that wants a higher quality of life. Uh, you know, our mi- mission is to end pain and suffering. And you know, anyone that wants to be able to get back to running without pain or play golf without pain or pick up their kids over their head without having their back or shoulder hurts, those are people that can benefit from this. Uh, and it's a really simple procedure. We use ultrasound to look at these abnormalities in that interstitial layer. Uh, and then we remodel discarded damaged tissue, free up nerves uh, using proteins that come from placenta. And then what ends up happening a lot of times is immediately after the treatment, people feel a change in their body because we're taking that scar tissue out, uh, we're freeing up that nerve. And so we have a lot of patients that are able to come in, they're unable to bend their knee all the way, let's say, and then they're able to. Um, I'll give you, I'll speak about David Ortiz because you've said his name a few times, but he had these nerves that were trapped in scar tissue around his ankles so much so that he was in so much pain he couldn't uh run he's had this guy do the myofascial massage you know pretty much every single time he played baseball uh he got to the point where he just he had to quit because he was in so much pain and he went to the top doctors at you know at harvard and stanford and you name it uh and they would use this mri to look at his ankles and they said you know david you're fine he would say well that's a pretty shitty answer because i'm in pain and long story short, when we got to him, we freed up those nerves, we remodeled the scar tissue, and immediately after, he was able to run down the stairs. He was taking ground balls with his son. Uh, he said on camera, if he met us previously, he'd still be playing baseball. So interesting. You know, when, when you have a problem that you don't have a solution for, like a problem, let's say, um, in the knee, like you just described, you go down this road of taking drugs and uh, modifying your lifestyle. Then you wind up with other postural imbalances because you're not walking the way you need to be walking. And then, you know, your ribs get out of alignment and your shoulder gets out of alignment. And then you take some more muscle relaxers and pain pills. And one little thing, had it just been unlocked five years earlier, 20 years earlier, whatever it is, completely change the trajectory of your life. And I think that's the thing I'm so excited about uh, with the work that you're doing over there. I mean, it must be a really great feeling. Yeah, and why I say it's the future of healing is 
look, you know, a lot of my portfolio companies, which I'm proud to be an investor in, are technology that's servicing and optimization of the health system. And again, I, you know, I think we have an amazing sick care system. If you have a really bad disease, it's the best place to go. But when you talk about prevention, maintenance, health, and wellness, I, you know, I just don't think that's what our system serves. So here it's, you know, people come to us and they've had an issue for 30 years and they finally get relief. Or, you know, we had a, a case of a woman who hadn't run for 22 years and she just sent a vi- vi- video of her ru- running pain free. And like, I mean, that like is what gets us up in the morning, right? It's, it's, you know, to improve these people's quality of lives. So you said to unlock their basic body. It's, it's not masking symptoms, but it's really getting at the root cause and then letting people be the best versions of themselves. Yeah, for sure. All right, I want to I want to switch gears a little bit. The show is called Work Hard, Play Hard, and we've talked a lot about your work. I want to talk a little bit about your play. I want to talk a little bit about fulfillment in your life. And some of these may, you know, most entrepreneurs don't have a lot of these, um, but they're working on it. But I want to see what's going on in your life and how you're improving this side of your life. So first, let me say, what do people often get wrong about you? I think you said at the start of the podcast, it's, uh, you know, that I would have Harvard tattooed on my forehead. I think there's, yeah, this, well, I would. Know, <laughs> there's this connotation of, uh, you know, the certain types of people that come from that institution or other elite institutions and they're supposed to act a certain way and perhaps some have some type of, you know, maybe even arrogance or superiority. And I guess I really pride myself on being a really humble person uh, and the fact that I can learn something from everybody because otherwise I just don't think life's, you know, as fun. It's like if I get in the car with an Uber driver, like, so what the person's Uber driver, I can learn something from them. I mean, the conversations I have in Uber sometimes are just like incredible, especially here in Miami. You know, I'm talking like PhDs from Venezuela and they're driving the car. I mean, it's just, I, I try to approach every single day as you know, I can learn something from every single person that I come in touch with. So I think because, you know, I have, I guess this on paper, really good pedigree. I think people really get wrong. Like that's who I am. And I'm really the opposite. Got it. What is the one rule that you have for yourself that you never break? I have a lot. Um, that's probably part of who I am such an OCD person sometimes, but uh, I would say, Meditation is a non like I brush my teeth and I meditate. Those are two things that happen uh, every single day, and I really try to get even a millimeter better every single day. Yeah, you're uh, you're linking those two behaviors together, right? In the same way that you brush your teeth, you immediately know that there's a trigger from the toothbrush goes to meditation. Yeah, it has to. It's uh, I you know I was a very anxious person for a very large part of my life and. You know, at the age of probably 25, 26, I got to the point where I just, I had to do something to deal with the anxiety. And one of my friends would call it the, the avocado pit of stress in my stomach. And uh, it started as really simple breathing for one, two, three minutes. And now it's, I mean, it's, it sounds boring to say this, but part of my play hard is two, three, four hours on a Saturday or Sunday of my favorite meditations where I'm literally just like washing my mind. I describe it as, you know, you wake up and your energy is like an empty pool. And through the day, it's just filling up with water, water, water. And when the week's done on Saturday, it's just like overflowing with water, overflowing. And those two, three, four hours for me, just take it all the way down. And so I can refill it, uh, you know, later in the day and then for the following week. 
What is a, a new behavior or a belief in the last, and you can fill in the blank, could be last number of years, last number of months, whatever hits you, that has significantly improved the quality of your life outside of meditation? I would say listening to listen and not solve a problem. I, uh, mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur and you know, someone who prides myself on like, what's the quickest way to get to the solution? Uh, I've learned partly through an exercise I've done in my entrepreneurial organizations forum, which is if you listen to listen uh, and just reflect back what someone says to you, and then uh, just really dive deep on something that you can tell is bothering them, you get to the real issue. And many times that person, when talking through it, uh, can solve their own issue. Whereas my way of listening typically is I, I... hear the person, but then my mind is always going, okay, how do I fix this? But when I do that, I get to the solution too early and we might be talking about a problem that isn't actually the problem. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love? It might be a little weird, but I love kicking my body's ass. Like I love just you know, there's like not an ounce inside you uh, to be able to like run another foot or, you know, push a little bit more weight, but just pushing my body to the absolute extreme. It used to be probably sadistic where it's like, even if I had like sprained an ankle or whatever, I'd still go work out. I think that's pretty unhealthy. This is like, I've, I've come to a healthy balance, but it's like pushing myself to the extreme to see how far I can go. It's interesting. What techniques or approaches do you have that may be counterintuitive to grow your business outside of just grinding away at it? Yeah, uh, it's a really interesting question because I'm going through now in terms of really hiring and uh, getting away from the operations. I've done a few things. Uh, I turn off my phone, which sounds super counterintuitive, but I basically have my phone on airplane mode uh, until probably 12 or 1230. I... Mm -hmm. Don't take meetings uh, until probably 2 p.m. And then I'm getting to the point where with a few assistants and uh, you know, team members, basically empower them to say, you know, look, you have responsibility over this and if you need to solve the problem and I'm just not going to be around. And so I, I extricate myself and just become not available, which at times can be difficult, especially if there's a fire. But what you realize when you turn off your phone and it's on airplane mode, people figure stuff out and you train people that you're not uh, 100% responsive. I think we're in this interesting time where it's, you know, the time frame of which we respond, you know, went from letters, which were days or months to phone calls, which were maybe days or hours to now text messages, which if you don't respond to me in 60 seconds, something's gone wrong. So almost a retraining of both myself and the people around me, which may sound counterintuitive. Yeah, it's really interesting how when they can't get a hold of you, they somehow figure out how to solve it. And you know, I once read a post from Tim Ferriss, and it was uh, what he calls the art of letting bad things happen. So, mm-hmm. as you know from reading the book, you know when he went off to you know to his trip to Italy for four months, and he was trying to figure out what was going to you know go down. He knew that it wasn't going to be perfect. Actually, I think he was gone for a year or whatever, whatever the number was. He knew it wasn't going to be perfect. And so he just established the art of letting bad things happen. So when my wife and I take extended trips, you know, for let's call it a month um, or more, uh, we know shit's going to get fucked up. There's just no way around it. But it's better to take the trip 
or it's better to do whatever it is that you're trying to do and just put it into the bucket of the art of letting bad things happen because the upside is worth it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The art of letting bad things happen. It's uh, a, yeah. yeah, it's a, it, 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 you have to, otherwise, uh, you know, you'll never get out of your situation. I think as entrepreneurs, we're such control freaks that we want to be, you know, around every single decision. But the reality is your company will never grow until you let go. Yeah, for sure. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Uh, I want to spend three months. Um, I want to do a sabbatical every year for three months. And the places that are on my list are South Africa, um, Cape Town, uh, Spain, Italy, and New Zealand. And why Mm. South Africa? Uh, We went for a wedding um, about two years ago, I think. And it's such an amazing amalgamation of you, know, you have your safari and you have Cape Town, which is like LA. Uh, you know, you have outdoors activities, you have amazing nightlife. And the best part, it's probably one fifth or one sixth cheaper than what it costs to, uh, you know, li- li- live in LA. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, last year we did uh, Cape Town for New Year's and uh, it was incredible. It was a long fucking flight. Yeah, <laughs> you go to sleep for eight hours, you wake up, you sleep another eight hours, you wake up, you sleep another eight hours. It, like it just doesn't end. But when you get there, it's really freaking cool, uh, especially especially in the wintertime because it's their summer, you know, really, oh, really it's cool. incredible. And, and yeah, if you like it. wine, there's, uh, I mean, Stellenbosch and Constantia. That's where we went. Of, yeah, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, I still get their Stellenbosch wines, just really, really good stuff. And it uh, wasn't that expensive either. Are there any particular routines or tools or anything that you use to rejuvenate or decompress yourself? I know you mentioned meditation. Is there anything else that you do to release the stress valve? Yeah, I have a really regimented morning routine and then I've started to do some things throughout the day. So the morning uh, is I get up and I share some affirmations. Um, I'm really into Abraham Hicks right now. They have a book called Ask and it is given. And the one that I always repeat to myself is things are always working in my favor. The universe is conspiring uh, in my favor. And so I'll say that to myself before I get up. Uh, And then I go journal um, and I have like a very set list of questions that I journal. And it's really focused on gratitude. Uh, I write 10 things that I'm grateful for. And then I say, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, And then I work out without fail. Uh, and then I meditate. So that really like starts my day, you know, sets my intention. And then throughout the day, because I still have that avocado pit of stress sometimes, if I find myself, you know, kind of getting into just out of control, what I'll do is I'll just put the phone on airplane mode. I'll sit down. I'll literally just close my eyes. I'll take five really, really, really deep breaths. And somehow it just like breaks the pattern, just like changes the interruption of whatever's happening. And then I can get back uh, onto my day. Let's chat for a second about Abraham Hicks. I um, This is one of those things where I have heard the name Abraham Hicks throughout the last 20 years on and off. And I just recently started uh, connecting to, I guess we need to say their work. Um, mm-hmm. or, or I, I, Would that be the right way to say it? Is that the, the right pronoun, their work? I think so. Um, right? It's a little trippy. <laughs> a little bit. It's a little trippy. Um, and I started doing, I could send it to you if you don't have it. Um, she's got a, um, a 10 minute morning meditation that is specifically designed to increase your vibrational frequency. And she gives you 17 seconds to 
you, the, the goal is to train yourself to keep the vibration at whatever vibration you know, you're trying to manifest. So if there's something particular that you're trying to manifest, you want to keep your vibration at the level of somebody who would manifest, you know, who has that thing. So anytime you get out of that, then it's a problem. So she, she says, you got about 17 seconds before you can change your state and get back into the vibration or you got to start all over again tomorrow. And the idea is to train yourself to vibrate higher. So are you, are you getting like deep into it from a, like a vibrational standpoint way or how are you, how are you approaching Abraham Hicks? One, I would love to uh, get the 10 minute meditation. I can send you a few. Um, One that I do every day is it's a 15 minute get into the vortex. And I'll just share how I got into it. Uh, You know, meditation has been a big part of my life for the past probably eight years or so now. Uh, And increasingly, spirituality, law of attraction, vibrations, uh, just energy, uh, particularly over the past two years has really, really been a big, a big part of my life. So uh, I had a Reiki healer come in probably eight months ago. And you know, I, I'll be completely honest, I really didn't believe in that type of thing. I, you know, She was reading cards the first time that that's ever happened to me in my life. And I was super, super skeptical. And she just asked me, she goes, hey, does your left knee hurt? And I was like, what? And I've never met this person. She doesn't know me at all. She goes, yeah, when you walked in, there was a big, you know, red ball around your left knee, and I was like, "Yes." And then she said some other things throughout the time that just it made me realize that, uh, you know, until you experience it, it's probably really hard to understand. But I was like, "There's something here." And she said to me, "She said, look, I, I really recommend you read this book called Ask and It Is Given." And I listen to Ask and It Is Given on repeat, like every single day, because it's ingraining in my mind that. If you ask for it for the universe, the universe will give it to you. But the third step that at least I don't do, and I don't know many people that do, is it allow it. You know, us as entrepreneurs, we're always like pushing the rock up the hill to try to get to the top. But the reality is, if we just let it come to us, let go a little bit, allow that vibration to come, you know, it will. And, you know, there's so many good, good examples, but like she talks about people, you know, that uh, are in debt or don't have a lot of money. And she says, when you're, or they, uh, when you are focused on that, you're sending out the vibration of what you don't have. And as hard as it may be, just feel the feeling of what it's like to have a lot of money. And as soon as you can really feel what it's like to have all the money you want in the world or all the whatever you want in the world, that's when the manifestation comes. But we think it's the other way around. We think the manifestation or the condition has to change and then we'll feel better. And what I've learned from Abraham Hicks is, no, it's the complete opposite. It's have the feeling and then things will come. And I can just tell you in my life and business, you know, I've manifested a lot of things. Sure, because I work hard and what have you, but because I've had the feeling of what they feel like before they come to me. When you say the feeling, is it that you're stepping into, like, we'll use a house as an example. Is it that you're stepping into, like, walking around the house and touching, you know, touching your new, you know, mahogany wood walls in your library? Or is it more like the feeling that you're going to have when you have the house? I think it's both. I think it's one being that person where you wake up with the uh, mahogany walls and, you know, you got this expansive house, the house of your dreams. And then, Whatever that feeling is, if it makes you feel proud, if it makes you feel ecstatic, if it makes you feel happy. And I can just tell you from my experience, the other part does not work. The, the, the part of, I don't have the house, I'm depressed, I uh, you know, don't have the money I want, I don't have the things I want. 
Because at least in my experience, what that's doing is it's sending out the vibration of everything that you don't have. And so it's completely flipping the script of, sure, even if you don't have that, even if you that's not your condition, if you can feel it, if you can live it in your mind, because your mind and the universe doesn't know the difference between you walking through the mahogany house or you in your mind thinking, feeling that you are in the mahogany house. So this gets trippy, right? So now you're putting the vibration out and then you got to ask yourself, well, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, does that mean that there's some juju that just went, you know, down my street in LA and is like, you know, finding its way to where it needs to be and pulling in what I want? Like what, like, you know, the, like now we got the mechanics, right? Which is like, okay, well, you know, walking around with your shoulders slumped and, you know, doing the opposite of what Tony Robbins uh, teaches is not going to get you what you want. Step into it, feel it, raise your vibration, raise your energy. Imagine that it's here right now, right? All that. But what the fuck is really going on? Like, like what? It, because I know it works. I do because it, it, it just shit keeps appearing in my life that I visualize. It just does. Happens all the time. But like, you know, you went to Harvard. Figure it out. <laughs> you know? like, it, it's a, like, what is that? It's a great question. And as somebody that is, uh, you know, very scientifically based and evidence based, it's a it's a conundrum. And where I've landed on it is. It just is. And just like you respect the law of gravity, you wouldn't jump off a building because you know what would happen. Let's just respect the law of attraction, right? And it's just, it, it is. And I can't, I mean, sure, there's a scientific formula to explain, uh, you know, gra- gravity. And there's a lot of books on consciousness and energy and vibrations. And I think at some point we'll have a really succinct way of describing the law of attraction uh, or vibrations. But in the meantime, I just accept it as fact. And that's because like it's worked in my life super well. And then every single person that I've admired or idolized, they say the same exact thing. I mean, I remember uh, the guy that created Dilbert, Scott Adams, talking about how he basically willed himself back to speak through this same process. You know, he was told he would never speak again just by this simple process. Or Joe Dispenza, who I've had the opportunity to speak uh, on stage with, is, you know, he's a perfect example of the man was paralyzed and just by using his mind, he was able to get himself back to, you know, now serving millions and millions of people. Yeah, he sure did. He went to the chiropractic school I went to go to, I, that, that I went to. I mean, he's... Uh, He's an incredible guy. Incredible guy. All right. So we're going to wrap up with a rapid fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you like, but it's basically a first thing that comes to mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Manifesting my desires, uh, connecting really, really good people. What keeps you up at night? What more can I do to serve others? Do you collect anything or have you collected anything else? I used to collect uh, turtles because they were my favorite uh, um, animal. I don't do that. I've gotten this asset light existence, but I definitely do collect premium wines. What is the one thing that you want to get better at? I want to get better at not reacting. Uh, I still, when things come in, whether that's, you know, a text message or an email or a phone call or you know, somebody lashing out at me, I still have a tendency of reacting to that. And I don't want to let other people steal my energy or bliss. Mm, that's a great one. What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, I would say sleeping in and wine. 
if you had to give a TED talk on nothing that you're known for, nothing that you speak about, and it could be on anything that you have a passion for, what would it be? I would say spirituality and source energy. I came from uh, a place where I went to church. My dad's dad was a pastor. I was you know, brought up in this relatively open Christian environment and uh, for a lot of reasons shunned religion and you know, thought it was, I, I won't go as far as say I was an atheist, but very much just had religious trauma and, you know, what's happened with the Catholic church and the fact that we fight wars over it. I just, I, I really detested, despise what a lot of institutions would do. But now uh, this idea that there's just this energy field or this vibration, as we were speaking about this source that we all emanate from, I, Eckhart Tolle likens it to the sun and we're just beams coming from the sun it's something that I've just become super, super passionate about. And uh, I hope to get to the point where I'm fluent enough to speak about it like an Abraham Hicks uh, on a stage like Ted. Dude, amazing. Well, this was everything I hoped it would be. And I am super, super excited that we got a chance to do this. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? Well, I, uh, I mean, a few things. One is if there's any way that we can help serve uh, your audience, whether that's through you know, their body um, for pain or mobility, they can find us at uh, i2i.md. And uh, if there's anything that I can do to help you or anyone else li- listening on their entrepreneurial path, one of my big passions is helping people achieve their impossible. So uh, you know, I'm not too hard to get a hold of. So if you do, I'm happy to help. Well, Christian, thank you so much for taking the time and we will link up everything in the show notes. Thanks so much and have a beautiful day. You too. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.